Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1, and uh, as Mark just read, I think this is probably some of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture when it talks about uh, the reality of who we are and then who God is. I, I, I told you about uh, the, this point of Ephesians, and I said that there, I thought there were two main things. Number one is our position in Christ, right? The first three chapters are all about our position in Christ, who we are in Christ, what God has done for us, and then as a result of that, our purpose um, or, or the, the, the thing that God has prepared us for. And so we jump into really what is the heart of the gospel here um, in Ephesians chapter 2. With that said, I want to make a couple quick announcements uh, just to let you know. Uh, we've been talking over the last couple weeks. We're excited about this. For those of you who don't know, um, our Hispanic church uh, matter of fact, nine years ago, almost 10 years ago now, uh, we started a Hispanic church that meets right here uh, in our building. Um, and they grew pre-COVID, they grew to about 45 or 50 on average on any given Sunday. Um, Post-COVID, it's just never recovered. Um, and so we've been in the talks the last couple of weeks uh, with the Hispanic church there's going to be some drastic changes going on in that we are going to become a multi-ethnic church. We are inviting them in. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm not saying that this doesn't go on, but I don't know many churches that this is happening in. Um, so we're working right now with technology, um, trying to work on translation and things like that. Most of them speak English, uh, but there are a couple of things that I want us to think about as we go down this road. Number one, the Bible is very clear, right? That every tribe, tongue, and nation will be represented around the throne of Jesus, right? That God's throne, that God's kingdom is not a bunch of white people um, standing, standing by, right? It's going to be every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And the beauty of that is that when you're going to hear them sing, they're going to be singing in their language, but somehow you're going to understand it. And likewise, they're going to understand us. And so we believe that that God has brought us to this time and place uh, for a very specific purpose to say, hey, what does this look like and how do we do this? So I'm going to tell you that starting March 10th, um, that's our planned goal, March 10th, uh, we're going to have music both in English and Spanish. Um, we're combining our worship teams, Chris, and they're, they're going to work together. Um, and our heart, honestly, is this, that we're a church that becomes even more multi-ethnic because it's going to reflect more of the community that we live in, and we believe reflect more of the, the kingdom of God and what God set up in the beginning. So um, there's going to be some transitions. I'm just going to tell you that, right? Um, I hope you would take some time. Matter of fact, you could download Duolingo. I mean, it's, I, I don't, I don't get a, I don't get a, a, a kickback on that. You can download Duolingo, the app for free, if you want to try and start learning Spanish. Some of you may say, I know Spanish. Um, and we're going to encourage you. We're, we're going to sing songs and verses that, that we'll have our English and the Spanish up. But I want to encourage you to try and learn um, some Spanish. And I want you to know this, right? That you go to great lengths to invite them in, to talk with them, to build friendships with them, because they're a part of the body of Christ and they're a part of our family, 
right? And that's the beauty of the gospel is that regardless of, of our background, regardless of where we're from or where we grew up or what language we speak or even the color of our skin, that all of us are in the same standing before God and we need the grace of God more than anything else. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we believe that this is a great way to move forward and to see more, what we would say, what, more impact through that uh, as well. So uh, please be praying for that as we continue to move forward. Also, we'll let you know, just real quick, I don't think this is anything big, uh, or I mean, anything that we have, but Friday night, we're gonna have a work night up here. Some people are like, well, why Friday night? We have um, every Saturday from here until Easter is packed. We've got stuff going on in the building. And so we thought, man, Friday night, six to nine, listen, I know a lot of you work. That'll give you all day Saturday if you have nothing to do. We're just going to try and be up here and get some stuff done. I know some of you got things. It's no big deal, but we would love you. If you're open to come up and help do a number of things around, we'll be up here Friday night from six to nine to carry some of those things. So back to the text. I've entitled this sermon, But God, and I want you to think about this. I always call it the biggest butts in the Bible. Maybe someday I'll do a sermon series on that. And what I mean by that is the very things that we look at, one statement, and then there's this verse or or these words, but God. And so today, as we dig into Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians focuses on our position in Christ, I just said that, as well as our practice. In other words, how we should live as a result of our identity in Christ. And I believe that that's chapters 4 through 6. So chapters 1 through 3 is our position in Christ. Chapter 4 through 6 will be our practice and what we're to do. So the background of this verse is the reality of God's goodness and grace. It may seem to be a negative verse, but in reality, it's rather positive. It's one of those encouraging things. It's this picture of a, uh, not of a good one or not of a bad one, but of a good one. And, and I think that this is the important thing that we see out is this idea of who we are apart from Christ and then as a result of what Christ has done. I believe this wholeheartedly, that Ephesians deepens our understanding of the gospel. It deepens our understanding of the gospel because we live in a day, let's be realistic, we live in a day with a lot of superficial Christianity. In other words, on the surface level, it looks really good, but deep down inside, we ask these questions, right? Like, is this really what Jesus meant? Yes. Yes, he did. That's the reality. And so when I say we live in a day of superficial Christianity, we live in a day where people act Christian but their heart is far from Jesus. There's a lot of shallow teaching that abounds in our churches and is led at times to a very unhealthy picture of Christianity, a very unhealthy picture of the gospel, one in which many today reject. And so what I wanna do today is to get to the heart of what the gospel really represents or means or is a picture of, which we just read a little bit earlier out of 1 Corinthians 15, but I want to get into this reality of who Jesus is, what he's accomplished, and why he's doing that. Because there is a purpose to the very reason behind what he did. So, if you remember anything, I want you to remember this today, that God's love and rich mercy give us spiritual life in Christ to do good works. God's love leads to good works in our life. Pretty simple, isn't it? 
But yet there's something to be said about what is going on in this text. Look at me in the first three verses because I want to draw us into this idea of what ends up happening. He says, as for you, you were dead. Look at your neighbor and say, you're dead. You're dead to me. You're dead to me. I'm just joking. <laughs> Look, listen to what he's, he's unpacking. He's, he's getting this point across. As for you, everybody say me. That's not me. I'm not talking about me. You're talking about you, right? Like when you say me, you're talking about yourself. As for you, Paul is saying, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins in which you used to live. Here's the reality of what Jesus is trying to get to it. We all were wandering from God. You get that? Prior to Jesus, we all what? Wandered. We all goofed around, right? We all chased our own way. We all had desires. We all had things we went after. And listen to what he says. As for you, you were dead. Every one of us have been dead. Matter of fact, you are born dead. You may say like, well, that's a contradiction. Yes, you are born spiritually dead. You are not alive. You are dead in your transgressions and sins. This is where we get this idea of Romans, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. This is unpacking exactly what Paul is trying to get across, and it's important for us to understand what is going on. He says, as for you, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, I want to be very clear what that means right? The, the, the word for sin is actually uh, the idea of what it calls to miss the mark. Matter of fact, um, I thought about bringing my crossbow and I thought, no, no, that's just an accident waiting to happen. Because what I was going to do was set up a target and show you how bad I am. No, I'm just joking. I would have had somebody hold the target. And then I would, <laughs> yeah, who would have been the bravest to put the apple on their head? See, the idea is Chris is volunteered, right? The idea of this is this, that no matter how hard we try, no matter how much we practice, no matter how much good we think we can do, that sin always means that we've missed the mark. You and I cannot hit a bullseye every time. And you may say, well, if I practice on my crossbow a lot, you could. Yes, I'm trying to convey a picture that no matter how good you are, no matter what you think you can do, you and I are always dead. See, I get most annoyed with people or with others with the very things I do myself. Anybody else been there? What is it that annoys you about other people? Usually it's the things that you do yourself, right? like somebody else calls you on the carpet. And what I want us to see is this, and you could even say it in a certain way. It's not you, it's me. See, that's what Paul is trying to get across to us. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions, in the sins in which you used to live. Please make no mistake about it. Paul is drawing a line. I believe that Jesus draws a line. That there are things that we used to do in our life, but because we are in Christ now, that we're no longer to do what? To do those things. Galatians says, as for you, don't be a slave to sin anymore, but rather be a slave to Christ. 
that you don't make yourself a slave to the sins that so easily entangled you, but rather you walk in the obedience to Christ. So listen, it's a big deal. Why? Because most of us look at the problem in everybody else and go, it's not me, it's you. When Paul is trying to say, it's not you, it's me. So it's very clear that Paul is getting this across, that all of us have walked in our sins and our transgressions. As a result, we walk in death. But I love what he says in verse two. What's he say in verse two? In which you what? Used to live. Can, can I be honest with you? That the call to follow Jesus, when you commit your life to Christ, when you say, Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you is a new call. Jesus says to take up your cross and follow me. Jesus says that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. But the problem becomes this. We want Jesus and then we wanna walk in the same things we used to do day in and day out. And then we go, God, where are you? God, why are you leaving me on my own? God, why are you not blessing me in my life? Because Paul is very clear. You were dead in your transgressions. Everybody say were. What does that mean? It's past, right? You were dead in your transgressions, in your sins, in which you used to live. So he lays it out. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. That's the reality of what Paul is trying to get us across. And so we were wandering for God, from God, and as we were wandering from God, we realized that we were dead. I also want you to see this. It says that we were disobedient. It says, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Listen again to what he says. You used to be dead, when you used to live in those ways, the ways of the world and following the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Do you realize that when you walk with the world, when you walk in step with the world, when you do what the world does, there is a drastic separation between what the world is and what Jesus is. Drastically different. Unfortunately, some in the church now will say, that's okay, you be you, you do what you do and everything's fine when that's the farthest thing from the gospel in the first place. Make no mistake about it. When Jesus said, I died on the cross for your sins, he didn't just do it to buy you out of hell. He did it to give you a new life. That's why we quote things like this, right? If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. It's a new life. I used to like to maybe make it this way. You have a brand new car. You drive it off the lot. Things are going pretty good. You get about a mile down from the dealer. Guy pulls out in front of you. You total that car out. Honestly, that's our life. It's totaled. It's wrecked. And the insurance adjuster comes and goes, well, we'll fix it. No, it's totaled. Now nah, we can fix it. That's what most of us oftentimes respond with in our life. Well, we'll just fix it. And Jesus says, no, 
I'm going to give you something brand new. Why? Because that's who I make you. I make you a new person. I make you something different. I make you into what I want you to be. There's an important fact that is being played out here, and it's simple, that we were dead, we were disobedient. Listen, and, and it plays this idea. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says very clearly that we were following the ways of the world. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 that Satan is the kingdom of the air and that he has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So make no mistake about it that when Satan is at work, that he's doing everything he can to blind the minds of those unbelievers to lead them into disobedience. Now, I'm going to be very clear on this. If you are a professed Christian and you can walk in blatant disobedience to God's word, I would highly doubt your salvation. I'm not saying that you're sinless. I'm saying that day in and day out, you look and I, I go, okay, that's what God's word says. Nope. Not going to follow it. Because what you've told me is you just wanted your get out of hell free card, right? And you don't really want Jesus. Because Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to follow me. If you abide in me, I'm going to bless you. When you walk in obedience, others will know that you're my follower by the way you love other people. And it's very con concerning for a person who says, I can walk in disobedience and I don't really care and I'm not going to have any remorse. I'm telling you point blank, I would highly doubt your salvation. I don't believe you know Jesus Christ personally. And you may say, well, that's pretty harsh, Brian. Listen, Satan is at work in the lives of people. The ways of the world, works, money, sex, power. Satan is at work in all of those things. And it says that those who are disobedient, Matter of fact, it says, all of us also lived among them at one time. I love this. You were dead. You lived amongst them at one time. What is Paul saying? He's drawn the line in the sand, hasn't he? In other words, that was the past, and I'm going to move into the present and the future of what God has called me to be. And then I want to draw your thing to a third, a third thing that I noticed, all right? Number one, it said that we were dead. Number two, it said we were disobedient. Number three, it said that we followed the desires and thoughts of our sinful nature. James makes it very clear that, that we're not tempted by God, but each of us are tempted when by our own evil desires, right? The desires that are in us, the, 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 the desires of death, the desires of sin and transgression, the desires of the world, the desires that Satan plants in our heart, when those desires draw us off, because he says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were nature of objects wrath. And I want to be very clear in this. Paul is laying this out. That when you are dead in your transgressions, when you walk in sin, when you walk in destruction, when you walk in your desires and disobedience to God, that you are doomed for destruction. That's what he lays out. So I, I told you that this gets positive, but right now it seems negative because he says that they were by nature 
objects of wrath. In other words, that you and I deserve what we get as a result of the very nature of who we are because we are dead, we are disobedient, and that we follow our desires that by nature, we deserve what we get. We're doomed to destruction. But I love this, and I just said that earlier, right? But God. Verse 4. Verse 4 unpacks what I think is one of the most encouraging, one of the most rich, one of the most rewarding things for us to understand. It says, but because of his what? What? Great love. love. Because of God's great love and, look at this, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we are dead in our transgressions. Please hear me out when I say this, when I want us to understand, but God made us alive in Christ. Notice it doesn't list the things we can do. He doesn't go, well, if you're just good enough, it says, but because of his great love, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is the beauty of the gospel, that there's nothing you and I can do to earn it, to deserve it, to get it, to buy it, to purchase it, or anything else like that. It simply says, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Please keep this in mind. If you are in Christ, you used to be dead. You used to be disobedient. You used to follow and chase after the desires, but because of God and his great love and his rich mercy, he says, I've now made you alive in Christ. John chapter 10, verse 10, right? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life more abundantly. Like Ephesians chapter two right here is probably some of the most rich texts to understand and wrap our minds around. Because I love what he says in verse five. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. Notice that same statement. We're dead. In other words, there was a point in time where you have confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior. There was a point in time where you realized you were dead and as a result, you called on Jesus to be the author and perfecter of your faith. You called on him because you confessed him with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believed that God raised him from the dead. All of those things are played out here. And there is something very sincere and very specific that he's saying, because it is by grace you have been saved. Grace, a gift, not anything that you have done, And so it's very clear that he made us alive in Christ, that God rescued us from the grip of anything else that promises to satisfy, but won't. How often do we look for satisfaction in other things? How often do we chase after the things of the world? How often do we try and gratify the cravings of our sinful nature? How often do we lead and follow the desires and thoughts of our minds? And at the same time, we realize that none of those bring us life. You know, yesterday, Sarah and I were sitting around. We had a little bit of downtime. And we haven't watched this movie in a long time. And it's not the greatest movie, but it made me think about this text. We watched Cocktail. I know. Everybody's laughing. Like, really? 
Tom Cruise was 26, man. He's 62 now. That's when you're like, man, I'm getting old. Uh, <laughs> but we're watching Cocktail, and I'm thinking about this whole time that Coughlin, if you've ever watched the movie, is Tom Cruise's like mentor, if you want to call it, or whatnot in that movie. And the whole time, he's chasing after the very things of the world that says it brings him life. And in the end, Coughlin kills himself. Because the truth of the matter is, is you can chase after all of those things and still walk in death, still walk hopeless, still walk with no point of view and no value. You feel like there's no purpose in your life. And I believe that Paul's unpacking that in a very simple way. He made us alive in Christ. And then look at this, verse six, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ. When Jesus took you out of the pit and out of the mire, he didn't just pick you up and set you on the ground. It says that he raised us up and seated us with Christ. Do you get the beauty of what he's saying? I took a low life piece of trash with no hope, who's homeless, who's dead, who's dirty, who's disgusting, and I elevated him. I elevated him to the highest point I could elevate him, just below Jesus. He raises us up. He picks us up. He carries the burdens, he carries the pain, he carries the misery, he carries the sins, and he washes them all away. And it says, he raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's the beauty of the gospel. The very thing that I can't do for myself, Jesus did for me. The very hope that others don't have, Jesus gives to me because I realize what he is communicating. And then he says in verse seven, right? Not only did he raise us up, but it says that he raised us up in the heavenly realms of Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages, he might show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ. Do you get what he's saying? That you and I, when we're raised up with Christ, when we are alive in Christ, that God shows his incomparable riches of his grace. That you and I are a living, walking, talking example of God's grace. That's the beauty of the gospel. That God took a poor, wretched piece of trash who was striving for the acceptance and approval of men who walked in sin and chased the disobedient things in my heart and the desires that misled me. And God said, I got something different for you. I got something better. And I love this. It shows the incomparable riches of God's grace. Can I tell you something? You and I are a richness of God's grace, a rich we are a prize. We show the beauty of God's grace to those who are around us. And when we walk in obedience, when we walk not in the deadness that we were living in the past, but when we walk in the life that God gives us, that we are an incomparable rich. We are a wealth that God says, look at what I did to this guy. Or look at how I changed her. Look at what I do in the lives of those who come to me. And then I love verses 8 through 10. So we said that we're all 
We were all wandering from God. We said that God made us, but God made us alive in Christ. And then here's where we're going to wrap up, that we are God's workmanship for good works. Look at verse 8. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved. Everybody say grace. Grace. Is there anything you can do to earn grace? No. No. Grace, for it is by grace, God's grace, because of his great love and his rich mercy, God's grace was given out. So it is by grace you have been saved through faith. What is faith? Faith is the belief that Jesus died on the cross. That's what it says. And the confession of that, I confess it with my mouth, that Jesus died on the cross and I believe he's going to rise again, right? Which is what happens. So it is by grace you have been saved through faith that I believe that. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's a gift. God's grace is a gift. And it says, not by works that no one can boast. Think about it this way. Grace comes through faith. And as a result, the human response is belief. So faith is the instrument by which we lay hold of Christ. Grace is a gift. Faith is a gift. Salvation is a gift. The only one who is exalted in salvation is God. Nobody else. You can't sit back like we so often do and go, I wasn't as bad as that guy. Because God's grace was just as much for you as it was for the person who maybe in your idea was even worse. See, isn't it funny in humanity that we like to always compare ourselves to other people? Don't we? Well, I'm definitely not as bad as that guy. Right? We do that all the time. Well, there's no, I don't know. Like, I've even heard people say things like this. I don't know that there's any hope for that person. Do you know what you do when you say statements like that? You minimize the work of God in that person's life. Because what we should say was, but God. Well, that guy's a mess, but God could change him. Oh, that girl, she's just an absolute disaster, but God can change him change her. Those are the things that we ought to put in. And please hear me when I say this. He unpacks this very simply. And then he gets to verse 10, which I think is probably one of the most powerful verses you can understand. If you're a person who struggles with depression or a person who struggles with purpose and meaning and value and everything else, please make it very clear in your mind today is this, that we were once dead. We were once disobedient that we were once doomed for destruction. But God, who showed his mercy, gives us or creates us or makes us in to his workmanship. Listen to what he says. For we are God's what? Workmanship? It's the idea that he has molded us into what he wants us to be. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, salvation is a gift in verses eight and nine, but salvation results in good works in our lives. I've heard people say that Paul and James were always in conflict. Not if you read James the way James should be read. Because James says, faith without works is what? Dead. You show me by your faith by what you do, 
or by what you believe, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. And what Paul is saying here is very simply this, that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, that as a result of a changed heart in my life because of Jesus, then good works are going to flow out of the very thing that is going to be my life. And so when James says that works don't save you, which he does, by the way, what James is saying is that you show me your faith, and a faith that produces good works is a faith that I can believe in or that that should be a Christian faith. In other words, Christians, followers of Jesus, were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He does not want us to think that the works are unimportant. He states that the works are not the root of our salvation. We're not saved by faith plus works, but by faith that does works. So we're saved by faith, and that faith leads us to do good works. It's not something you earn. It's not something you enjoy. Matter of fact, I want you to think about it this way. He says, for God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus do good works. When you do the good works, you're a reflection of the incomparable riches of God's work in you. And here's the big kicker. He says, which we, he prepared for us in advance to do. If you don't do the good works as a result of the overflow of what God's doing in your heart, who are you affecting the most? We can say you're doing it in affecting you. Can I let us think about something just very simply? If we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, and we're not doing them because we follow the desires of the world and things like that, then what I believe we do is we affect or infect those around us. Because we don't show the goodness of the gospel of Jesus by doing the good works that he has prepared for us in advance to do. But rather we show our sinful ways. And as a result, people look and go, I don't need that. I don't need Jesus. Did you know that you're God's workmanship? Do you believe that you're God's workmanship? Do you believe that God created you for good works? Do you know that salvation is a simple gift, a free gift from God? Do you believe that? Do you live by it? Do you walk in it? See, it's very simple. Oftentimes, we want to walk in the very things that lead us or mislead us. We walk in the ways of sin. We walk in the ways of the world. We walk giving into our desires that mislead us. But God. But God. Our identity used to be, in the past, dead, disobedient, doomed. But God, my identity now in the present and in the future 
is that I'm going to be raised at the right hand of Jesus, that I am an example of his incomparable riches and grace, and that when I walk, I'm not saved by works, I'm saved by faith so that I can't boast, but the only one I can boast in is Jesus. And that when I do good works, that's boasting on my Lord and Savior. That's boasting on the fact that he has changed me, that he has bought me, that he has purchased me, and that as a result, the works I do reflect and point to the glory of God. I hope in some way, shape, or form, maybe today was just a simple eye-opener. Maybe you've put your faith and trust in Christ in the past, but you've been chasing after certain things. But I hope today that Paul's words would just be a simple eye-opener to remind us of the goodness of God's love and his rich mercy. Because you were dead. You were disobedient. You were doomed. But God paid the price for you and I to walk in his grace and to be a workmanship of God created to do good works. Father, we pray just in a simple way today that our hearts would be encouraged and lift up by the truth of the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross, that three days later he rose again, and that after his resurrection he appeared and showed himself to multitudes of people, and that we are offered a life and life more abundantly in Christ. That you created us to do good works. So may we be a people who follow you day in and day out. That we walk in obedience, God. That we don't take for granted the gospel. We preach it to us day in and day out. Why? Because as for me, I was dead. As for me, I was disobedient. As for me, I was distracted by the ways of the world, and as for me, I was doomed. But God, I thank you for your great mercy, for the love that you poured out in Christ, because you made me a new creation. And I know that that old is gone, and I don't live in the past life, but I can walk into the present and the future because you have great things in store. So Father, may I walk raised up, in the power of the Spirit to be your workmanship, to do good things in Christ Jesus that you prepared for me in advance. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.